Hi, everyone, and thanks for coming back. Today's episode is on Gore Verbinski's Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, but we always recommend it as we will never stray away from spoilers. Today, we're going to be talking about the genre-defining soundtrack, breaking down one of my favorite fight scenes, and some of the fun production elements. So, let's get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Sheree. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. summary of this film, um, I summarize this as a fateful adventure eight years in the making. Will Turner and Elizabeth Swan get pulled into a reluctant life of piracy as they are caught between a captain trying to regain his ship and an undead pirate crew trying to break an ancient Aztec curse. I actually just thought of two questions to ask you, but continue. <laughs> Girl, it was so hard for me to summarize this movie. I'm like, who's the main character? What is this movie about? That's Pirates. honestly what one of my questions was, but we'll continue. <laughs> Wait, what, what was your question? What's this movie about? So, no, no, no. Not what this movie about is about. <laughs> one of my... I need to stop clicking my pen while speaking. <laughs> uh, one of my questions is, who is the main character? <laughs> who who are we seeing this story through, do you think? Um, I would... My gut wants to say that it's Elizabeth Swan mm-hmm. um, because she's the character who we start with um, and she is the character whom we see the most direct perspective of. Um, but I would like I would argue that there are like three main character arcs in this. Right. And you could argue that there are three main characters. Um Will Will Turner definitely being one of them because he shows up right after Elizabeth does. Mm-hmm. Um, so he his plot line could definitely duel against hers for mm-hmm. plot line. And I think that's part of what makes this series so compelling is that like you don't get bored following just one character's journey. You have several different yeah, people who I, you can root for. I would 100% agree with that. I feel like each of the three main characters and even the villain Barbosa, they're all very compelling characters. You kind of do want to see mm-hmm. their story fold, unfold throughout, you know, the whole film. Yeah. Jeffrey Rush as a great villain in this, uh, which Jeffrey is unexpected Rush. for me. Just mm, love that man. Continue. Yes. Um, okay, so was there another question or was it just, <laughs> what is this movie about? Yeah, no, no, no. My next question is, is this a love story or an action film? I think that it's, I think it's an adventure film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think a subplot is the romance between Will and Elizabeth. I would say, but no. like, well, if you think about it, like, I feel like this movie is a bit of a love story because... Each part of this film is moved forward because of the love that Will and Elizabeth have. So, yes, I 100% agree it's an adventure film. But I would say, I don't even want to call it sub-level, but I I would say that this is also equally maybe it's maybe it's like the equal protagonist where Mm -hmm. you have you have equal protagonists and you have equal plot lines that it's both the adventure story of jack and the black pearl and the love story of will and elizabeth i mean you could also say it's the love story of jack for his dang boat that's what i'm saying man right it's a love story (laughs) all the way around between a man and the sea Mm -hmm. 
Uh, okay. So, first impressions of this movie. Tell me yours. Oh, my. So, this movie came out in 2003, which would have made me 10 or 11. And mm-hmm. I think you this was... 11, I think. I think this was the first... One of the first movies we watched on our brand new big screen TV. And now, for all the people who nice. are younger than us... Back then, a big screen TV was big and fat and large. Like, this thing took up most of a wall. Man, I didn't... We didn't even have a big screen TV. We just had, like, a regular old TV that you could tell when somebody left it on because you could hear, like, a faint humming. And oh, my goodness. And it was about goodness. the size of a microwave. <laughs> so, we, we had one that size beforehand, like, a little bigger than that, like, two microwaves. And then I don't two remember microwaves. how we came across this monstrous thing, but we got it into our little apartment. <laughs> And oh my, my oldest brother, I think, had rented it for all of us to watch that night. And I remember thinking, first, I just, me being me, I immediately fell in love with the music. Immediately fell in yes. love with the music. But what what really captured this, I know you're going to talk about it too, because you love this scene as much as me. What I really loved about mm-hmm. this movie was the fight scene between Jack and Will at the beginning of the film. But what continued that was I loved the effect of when you first see Barbosa walk into the moonlight. And I was just like, how? How? Why? This is, this is amazing. It's fantastic. Mm. Every time that effect came on screen when I was a kid, not so much as an adult, but when I was a kid, I was like, this is just so neat. There's so many shots in this right? film that I just so, I love so much. But my first impression was this is one of the first, one of the first, I guess you, like you said, adventure film that I was like, man, I, like I rewatched it several times after that. My my mom and I, especially my mom, she fell in love with it because she loves, you know, Johnny Depp. Yeah. But this, this series is one of her favorite series of films is the Pirates films. And although I really just love the first one a lot, not nothing against the other ones. The, the, the first three are great, but I really love this first one. It's still, you know, a great, it's a great story. It's a great film. But yeah, first impression, fell in love with it. Instant classic. Yes, I agree. Um, okay, so for me, so did you see this movie in theaters or no, mm-hmm. your brother just rented it? Yep. First time I saw it was on a big TV screen. Okay. Yep. I did not see this movie in theaters either. Um, I definitely had the kinds of parents that would uh, like vet movies before we were allowed to watch them. Same with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mom watched, my mom and dad, I think, watched this first and she loved it so much that she brought it home and had us watch it. And she also absolutely fell in love with the music, um, loved the song, The Black Pearl, like the main pirate theme of da 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 Yeah, she loves oh, that one. Same. And I, um, so I was in like fourth grade or getting ready to go into fourth grade when this movie came out. Um, and my piano teacher at the time, bless her, loved to give us music from movies and shows and stuff to play. Um, cause I mean, you know, when you're a kid, like you don't want to go to your piano lessons there, it's boring learning how to play an instrument. So it was a lot cooler when I got to learn to play like movie music instead during right. piano music lessons. you recognize and love. Right. So, um, since my mom loved that soundtrack so much, my teacher got me the music for the black pearl and I learned to play it for my mom. And I have to tell you, cause I'm so proud of this, like core childhood memory like only happens in movies i was 10 years old when i learned to play this song wow and i performed it for my fourth grade piano recital like the full version not some like wow Wow, that's impressive full version and little 10 year old me earned a standing ovation from the crowd you should (laughs) dude it was like the coolest moment of my life like cannot surpass bar none (laughs) 
So love this movie. Love this movie specifically for the soundtrack because I will literally put these movies on all four of them. Just the first four. Um, <laughs> I don't like any of the ones after that or the one. Uh, yeah, I don't like the fifth one. So yeah, I'll put the first four on exclusively for the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't even watch them. I'll just put them on to listen to the soundtrack and have like vague theme stuff going on in the background because there's it's so good. And I'll get to soundtrack later. <laughs> we'll have a lot to talk about music because the music is oh, so good in this film. So good. Um. Okay, so casting. I literally, like, didn't even write down anything about casting. How, why would you need weird. to? Like, it's... Because, well, like, I feel like I usually flesh that out a lot more, but it's just, like... And I feel like a lot of these uh, actors were only, like, mildly well-known. I mean, like, Orlando Bloom obviously had been Legolas at this point, and then I would disagree. Right I feel like that. a lot of these actors actually had a very large profile at this point. And this was uh, The like only person Johnny I wouldn't Depp's say is Orlando though. Bloom would have been the, the lowest on that list to me. Well, but, I mean, Lord of the Rings won awards. It won, I think, right. Oscars or Academy but Awards or whatever. I, I would still argue... Johnny Depp would have pulled in the most people, I think, at this point for that film. But Keira Knightley, which is so odd, yeah, that was, this roles. was her like breakout role. She was really young when this was made. She was like seventeen, like going on eighteen when this movie was made. She had definitely done some roles and had like was. I think she was definitely far more prolific in you know England. But this was definitely mm. one of her breakout roles. But I would say in in I mean obviously you got Jeffrey Rush. Mm. Yeah. He's going to be a big draw for older audiences because you're like, why well, Jeffrey Rush is a villain? Right. Gotta see this. Right. I think- also, casual early performance from Zoe Saldana. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. I remember the first time I was watching this film again, like, way after, like, years, decade. Right. Decade like, now that you later. know who Zoe Saldana is. I was like, is that my chick from space as a pirate? Let's <laughs> go. Right? I'm like, wait a minute, Zoe Saldana's in this movie? I did I, not remember that. My mom and I were watching it, um, and she said, hold on, isn't that, that's the girl from Guardians? And I was like, it is. You're right, mom, it is. I had not noticed. Right? I did not either. From, it's like going back you know, and watching A real the pirate prestige. to a space pirate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to a space pirate, absolutely. Like, I mean, like, really, though, she finally got her better boat. Um, okay so I wanted to talk about the writing for this because um, what some people and probably a lot of people don't know is this movie it's not based on like a book or anything like that this movie is actually based on a Walt Disney World ride Mm -hmm. and that's that's where the whole like impetus for this movie came from it's not there's no source material isn't that crazy it, that's but that's bananas. Well, think like, about too. I've the been... haunted mansion is also the movies are yes. based off a ride at Disney. So the haunted mansion actually makes even more sense because it does have. And I think the haunted mansion came out after this. It was like, hey, a Disney World ride movie did so well. Let's try it with another classic ride. While so you talk, I'm gonna mansion. look that up. Yeah, I believe it came out afterwards. Um. Because I believe I was older. I think it was in like maybe like either fourth grade, like late fourth grade or fifth grade. Same when year. Mansion came out. Both two thousand three. Wow. Oh, now I want to know. Oh, well, no. Then it, it must have pirates just been would have like, been a summer film. Yeah, it was. It came out in like July, I think. Um, did they do Haunted Mansion released in October? November. No. Oh, okay. 
Um, it makes me wonder if like they were on like a spree of like let's make like Disney like worldwide related movies. June twenty like, eighth, like Pirates of the Caribbean. June twenty eighth. So um, I was close. Uh, so like you remember when like the Barbie movie did so well and Mattel was like, hey, we're then going to make we have all of these other. 8, 9, 10 toy-based like, movies plan. don't do it, Mattel. <laughs> That's what I'm wondering if... Are they, all right, they have, like, a Magic 8-Ball movie plan. Uh, I'm like, what are you going to do with that? Stop. Um, so I'm wondering if it's that kind of thing. Like, Disney was had a whole slate of movies planned that were kind mm. of based on Disney rides and stuff. I'd be interested to go back and see what other movie... What other Disney movies released around this time. Yeah. Um, yeah definitely within that time, those few best. years, because you never know. Right, so I want to so say at one on point there rides. was a game, there was a, a not a game, um, a movie that was supposed to be about Space Mountain, but don't quote me on that. Ooh, th- I know, no, there was. Well, and then I know this was much later, but there's the George Clooney movie about um, Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland, love the music yeah. for that film. That film is whatever, but the music it, was isn't great. Isn't it Michael Giacchino? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And that's why we like the music. So, okay, so I've been on, speaking of the Haunted Mansion, I've been on both rides. Mm-hmm. And the Haunted Mansion actually is, it's a very intricate ride with a lot of backstory to it. It's mm-hmm. got so much detail that you can incorporate into, it, it basically writes itself because there is like a story that you get told in like the intro as you're like shuttled down to the actual ride itself. Um Pirates of the Caribbean doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm so amazed at the story that they were able to write for this movie because the Pirates ride is mostly just kind of like a themed Mm -hmm. ride about like pirates. And so you get in like a little boat and you just get taken through like these vaguely pirate themed things where like pirates come and there's lots of Easter eggs in the movie from the ride. Really? Like the dog. Yeah. Like the dog with the keys. That's something that was from the ride. Um, when the pirates first ransacked Port Royal, um, the dude that's in like, kind of like a Pope looking hat, mm-hmm. the pirate that's chasing the lady in a nightgown. That's directly from the ride. They're like on an old school track and they just like, he just chases her like through a door and then back through the backstage and then back through that same door. And they just go in a circle. Oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's several Easter eggs from the ride. Um, like, all of t- the entire, like, Tortuga set, that's straight from the ride. Um, there's there's more, but those are the only ones that I can remember. Because I wrote it once before the Pirate franchise got really, really big. And then I wrote it again after. And they actually added in the whole Black Pearl ship. They added in, um, like, wax figurines of Johnny Depp. Um, at various points throughout the whole thing, and they made it a little bit more about the movies. Um, so, it, but the original ride didn't have a plot line. It was just like a of like a vaguely piratey ride where you got like maybe a little bit sprinkled, and it was just like fun and entertaining. <laughs> and it was a way, well, it was like a way to get out of the Florida heat because you're mm-hmm. indoors and there's water, you know. So they literally took that whole ride and made something like they literally made like a mountain out of a molehill it's impressive there was not much to that right well, it's so that's impressive honestly, what i would say is that's actually a perfect storm to create something is like you you you're given this little idea and they're like run with it do something with it right. whereas with like the haunted like mansion canvas. with a haunted mansion you said there's so much background to it it's like okay so do we mm-hmm. go with the background of this of this ride or do we come up with something new so i think honestly the pirates of the caribbean ride favors more 
to having a great story because you actually are allowed to be a little more creative because there isn't a lot to go for it, you know? Right. You're able to just flesh out your own universe as mm-hmm. much as you want. And I think it like it did so well. The writers kind of like weren't expecting to get a whole series out of it and then had to write three more movies out of it. And then what, two <laughs> Which, more like, after two that? Two or three are okay. There's okay, so there's I think there's five, right? Or six. Dead Man's Chest and then um at World's End. And then on Stranger Tides. And then Dead and Men then Tell No Dead Lies. Men Tell No Tales. No Tales, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's it. I think there's five. And I hate the fifth one. <laughs> I saw it. And I only... It's weird because I saw one, two, and three in bits and pieces over the years because my mom loves the price of the films. I've never seen the fourth one. And I saw the fifth one in theaters because my family wanted to see it. I was like, I have no idea what's going on at this point. Yeah, honestly, the fourth one is actually, uh, next to the first one, the fourth one's actually my favorite. Hmm. Um, That's the one where uh, it doesn't have Will and Elizabeth in it, and it has Penelope Cruz playing opposite Mm -hmm. Johnny Depp Mm -hmm. and uh, Ian McShane, which I love Ian McShane. I love his delivery and his his whole voice. I love love Ian McShane. Um, And that one's plot is really, really good, and it feels much more like the first Pirates of the Caribbean that we liked so much. Mm -hmm. But I think by the time you get to the fourth movie, you have a significant portion of your audience that's like, why are you still making Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Well, I think what's great about this first one so much is the casting. I know we kind of jump. I mean, the casting is self-explainable. Everyone's amazing. Um, But I think that, like, had they not cast all these characters perfectly... I don't know how well it would have done. They did. Mm-hmm. I think the casting and obviously their performances are just so good and endearing. You love, you mm-hmm. fall in love with it. Yeah. And here's the thing. Kira Knightley, I, I really think is what sealed this movie for me because it's fun by itself, but Kira Knightley is not an annoying character. Mm-mm. She is, she plays it so good because her character has such range. Mm-hmm. She, she's like strong and opinionated, but she also is very fearful and terrified of the pirates that she's surrounded by and the skeletons and everything Mm -hmm. and she shows a lot of range to her character of being terrified but then acting brave within her circumstances instead of just being like flat you know brave awesome female character the whole time she does a a significant range and to me that really endeared her character to me as opposed to later on in the in the fifth movie the part of the reason i didn't like the fifth movie is because i didn't like how what they had the female character do and i cannot remember for the life of me the name of that actress um she's in maze runner it's the girl from maze runner never seen it you never seen Maze Runner? Oh, no. good. Well, I have Maze Runner in our books to movies series planned, so we'll talk about it eventually. Okay. Um, but she, and her character was just very flat. She was just like this strong, intelligent woman of science, and she was just headstrong the whole time, and that was her one character trait. And so Kira Knightley's character was much more well rounded, mm-hmm. and she had more she had more personality than just being headstrong the whole mm-hmm. time. That I loved her. She really, like I said, she really sealed this movie for me. She's great. It's her story. <laughs> um, you wanna, it's her story. Uh, you want to talk about music? Oh, yes. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> okay. So um, this, the the soundtrack for this movie was co-written by Klaus Bedelt and Hans Zimmer. Um, I didn't know that until recently. Um, just a few years ago when I was like looking at all the music because I had the piano music and all of my piano music, at least for the first movie, said that it was composed by Klaus Bedell. Mm-hmm. 
so I had no idea. Um, Hans Zimmer was actually contracted to be like the producer for the soundtrack. And he was busy doing another movie at the time. And so he told Gore Verbinski, okay, like I will kind of oversee the project, but I'm doing another movie right now. I'm in contract, so I can't work on anything else. Let me refer you to this Klaus Bedelt guy who has done like nothing else. He co-wrote uh, the soundtrack for Constantine with John Wick. And Gladiator, right? <sighs> with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Their names are interchangeable. Um, and no, Gladiator was Hans Zimmer. Um, Klaus Bedell did, like, nothing else I've ever heard of. He did Time Machine, which is, like, this B-rated science fiction movie with crappy acting, crappy British acting. Um, and that's it. Like, I hmm. he hasn't done anything else I've ever heard of. He has a very, very small filmography when it comes to his score. Um, Spotify is saying so... he did part of, or a little bit in Gladiator. Was, hmm. Oh, really? One of his highest played songs is called now we're free from gladiator oh well i mean that makes sense hans zimmer wrote gladiator right so maybe, maybe they've been have working together on that project too yeah mm -hmm. and that's probably why he knew him too is they had worked on prior projects um so fun fact um according to because i was looking at the wikipedia article on the soundtrack alan silvestri who uh, wrote the soundtracks for Back to the Future, The Mummy, and of all the Avengers movies. Mm -hmm. He was originally hired to do it, but left due to creative differences. Wow. I know. Imagine this movie having been written by Alan Silvestri. It wouldn't have been bad, but like, would it have been Hans no, Zimmer? <laughs> no. Not even Would not we have by had the iconic, he's a pirate theme? Right? My favorite theme of all, so, arguably favorite theme of all time. It's up there, like, for sure. Like, if we have to put them into, like, movie genres, like, that's my favorite, like, adventure theme. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. Sure. If we have, if we put it as genres, definitely my favorite adventure theme, for sure. Um. So, okay, so I have to do a quick shout-out, um, because Wes had a fantastic idea for my 30th birthday, um, and I had the pleasure of seeing Range Ensemble perform a absolutely gorgeous Pirates of the Caribbean medley at their concert in Salt Lake this past weekend. Um, it was so intimate and beautiful and they did an absolutely fantastic I'm job. So um, jealous. which like, if you know, I used to, <laughs> I used to like a million years ago play violin. Mm -hmm. So like I, I was able to appreciate it and their cellist and their second violinist especially were absolutely mind blowing. There were several times throughout the concert where I was just sitting there with like jaw on the floor going, oh my gosh. That How many times were you nearly brought to whatever. tears? Uh, within three seconds of the opening of the concert. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't make it 10 seconds. They got three notes into Inception and I went <laughs> and just started crying. <laughs> so check out Range Ensemble on Instagram and see if they're coming to a city near you because I highly, highly recommend them. They're fantastic. That's awesome. I'm definitely have to look that up after this. Oh, please do. Um... So speaking of the soundtrack, um, the iconic song, like A Pirate's Life for Me, um, was actually written for the Disney ride. Okay. Right? Also, also, the guy who wrote it, um, his name is Javier Atencio, or just called X for short. He wasn't even a songwriter. He was just like a ride animator and Imagineer. And they were like, write a song for the ride. And he's like, okay, and writes a pirate's <laughs> Let life for me. Let me get right on that for you. <laughs> Let me get right on that. Like, Cherie, write a song. You're like, uh. uh where do I start? I, do we need cowbell? Yeah. 
So absolutely, <laughs> we always need cowbell. <laughs> so, so, and then obviously bits of that song can be heard throughout the movie. And really bad eggs. Um, so... <laughs> One of my favorite things in the world is when you, like, slow burn get my jokes and then laugh later. <laughs> you made me freaking snort. <laughs> oh, man. Do I cut it out or I keep it? No, I got to keep it. Oh. <laughs> Add another one to the scoreboard. Thank oh, you very much. Uh, okay. So I have to read you this because I was reading, like I said, I was reading about the soundtrack and... um. Because I'm like, I freaking love this soundtrack. This movie gets like 10 out of 10. Scratch that. 15 out of 10 soundtrack wise. Oh. No, it is okay, great. Like, like 100% it's agree with so you. so good. The Every mu- single song. <laughs> Continue. Because I have a lot to say about the music. Okay, a lot to say so, in air quotes. Okay. So the score received mixed reviews from critics. That's insane. Um, Christian Clemson of FilmTracks.com gave it one out of a possible five stars, criticizing its similarities to past remote control scores such as The Rock and Gladiator. He also criticized its lack of connections to the swashbuckling genre. Oh my goodness, are you serious? Stating the most disgraceful part of the pounding and shouting score for The Curse of the Black Pearl is that there is really nothing swashbuckling about it. If you remove the tepid little 30-second jig from the start of the opening cue, then this score could easily accompany a movie about alien attacks, police force raids, chases for nuclear weapons, or any other militaristic setting. I have so much I get to say to that because of course, of course it could. It's an adventure song for an adventure. It's film. an adventure soundtrack, so Christian Clemson can step on a Lego. <laughs> I hope it hurts. I hope it hurts. <laughs> because here's the thing: the absolute irony of his statement and his critic review is that while the original score like wasn't full of harpsichords and accordions and didn't sound like you know like 1800s music. Um, we are now completely unable to disentangle the overall tone of this soundtrack with seafaring adventures. It may not have been accurate, but now this soundtrack has become genre-defining. Right. You can't think, like, pirate at-sea music without thinking of this soundtrack. Exactly. I 100% agree with that statement. Anytime I it's see like weird. knockoff stuff, it, like even in like docu like docu series on like Travel Channel, and if they do anything pirate related, the background music always sounds like pirates. I always. What's odd too, because I don't. For me, I'm like, well, how does this not? It fits the period too. That if, if we don't really know what year this movie is, but it fits the, you know, period. Well, I mean, of like, like this is the the height of piracy, so this would be like the I think sixteen. Ooh. No, this would be like the 17 to 1800s. Because right, it kind of fits the Regency um, era the of expansion. It kind of fits the Regency era kind of thing. And, you know, yes. I feel like you can hear some of the Regency music in there. But then you have, like, I I mean, I 100% disagree with this. Like, I, I 100% right? hear I swashbuckling piracy out on an adventure in the ocean. I hear it all. Right. So I'm going to, I mean, again, I don't make music. I This is, that's not this my is profession. This key but. as to why you don't always listen to the critics about stuff. Exactly. Because they can be, they can be dead face wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because I'm in complete agreement with you. The soundtrack is awesome. Like I said, it may not be historically accurate. Like it may not be right. 
Oh, there's this term for when you have like dueling melodies in something where like each each hand like on the piano is playing its own melody, but they are complementary mm-hmm. and interwoven with each other. I cannot for the life of me think of the term right now. It's going to come back to me later. Um, And like this soundtrack didn't have any of that in it. And that would have been very typical of the time that very typical of the music that was being produced at the time. And like it didn't have any of the main instruments that would have been used at the time. Like you would you would have had um like like I said pianos and and harpsichords and you know like like seventeenth century music, right? You know, and who like, cares? I don't, I don't, like who cares though? Because here's one thing: exactly who, who cares? <laughs> this is one of the things I actually really liked about this soundtrack is the the fight scene again where Will and yes. Jack meet for the first time. If you're listening, yeah, if you're listening, I don't want to go into full detail, but one of the reasons I love that scene so much is because the music elevates the scene. The, the, the blades hit in time with the music. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. It makes you pay attention and focus more. I I mean, I, I even noticed that as a kid, as a kid, as a 10 year old, Mm -hmm. 11 year old watching this film, I was like, did the music just. Did the right? music that three sword clash mm-hmm. with the music, and you're like, that was dope. And what's really great is as the scene keeps going, so does the music. It, uh, it's such a great mm-hmm. element, and I mean, that's what music is made for in the in films is to elevate it and add more. And right, you can't like there are no like okay, that's not true. There aren't there are not not films with music, but more like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of films have music and they're there to elevate the scene and the story mm-hmm. and move it along and i love how mm-hmm. they use the music as part of the storytelling in this film right. which fun fact about that i know you and i were kind of talking about this yesterday is this just because of the timing of everything because hans zimmer was working on something else at the time this whole score got like written and produced before the whole movie was even done that, which is and insane I know that's bonkers because usually it's completely reversed. Usually you get the whole movie and then the composer will compose stuff afterwards, Mm -hmm. like after they have a whole scene to compose Mm -hmm. to. And so they did this completely backwards, which means that also if you look at some of the track names and where they appear, like this is like super in-depth stuff. But if you look at the track names and where those songs appear in the movie, their song titles have like absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in the movie at the time, they're just like named very piratey things. Like one of them is like Skull and Crossbones. And I have, like, I don't know what's going on in the movie, but <laughs> we're not just there. Like, it's not Skull and Crossbones. Right. They but just had to name it, it something piratey. It's like you said, you know, I mean, that's what they had to do. It's more like a footnote. Like, okay, right. we're calling this Skull and Crossbones and we're going to insert right, it at exactly. this point. Mm-hmm. And because they had the soundtrack ready to go, they were able to produce and design a lot of the scenes around the music, which makes them work so seamlessly. I mean, think about that. Think about like the escape scene at the beginning with, um, I think it's actually called The Black Pearl is what that song is mm-hmm. during uh, Jack's escape scene at the beginning. Um that is uh, absolutely amazing. That whole escape scene. That's why we love that song so much is because it makes that whole thing so much more thematic mm-hmm. and just perfect with when people like move and jump into action and when conversations stop and start. And it's it fits so seamlessly, like more seamlessly than almost any other soundtrack I've ever listened to with That's a great. movie. Yeah, this is like one of my 10, top like 10 you movie said. soundtracks. Oh, same. Yes, 15 out of 10. I literally have, like, there's not a lot of movies that I have the piano music for, but I have the piano music for the first three Pirates movies because I love them that much. They're good. They're so good. Yeah. 
I don't have I don't have a lot of other movie soundtracks up. I have the Lord of the Rings. I have all three of the Lord of the Rings movies on piano. Of course you do. And I have <laughs> The Hobbit. An Unexpected Journey only. I only have An Unexpected Journey uh, on piano. And then there's a few more. I have The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Obviously. Obviously. You have to. So good. And I have Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. I have nothing to say about that. <laughs> I cannot tell hey. you how many people in my life try to get me to watch horse films. And I'm like, No. The only horse film I've ever watched. It's is based Secretariat. on a book. I don't care. <laughs> I'm gonna make you watch Spirit. Please, no. <laughs> oh god, it's so good. <sighs> it's a great movie. Any other ones that you have, Audrey? Uh, I'd be shocked if you don't have the Harry Potter as... ones. Well, of course, I have the Harry Potter ones. That's, that's a given. Of course. Yeah. Well, it's not a given I to people who don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> Peasants. Peasants. She doesn't mean that, listeners. She doesn't mean that at all. Yes, I do. No, you do yes, not. Yes, I do. We need followers. Hush your mouth. <clears throat> Muggles. Don't listen to her. She's... Nope. I regret nothing. Okay. Let's move on to production. <laughs> man, me. oh man. Okay. Production. So, bruh. Let, can we talk about practical effects? Yes. Go ahead. Can we talk about freaking practical effects? Because mm-hmm. you did you notice them? Did you notice them? Some I know of you them. them. Yeah. Okay. So my brain was so caught up on man, these this film is old, and I wasn't paying attention to like the good effects because I was paying attention to the old effects so much. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> but go ahead. Um. So I I love this movie because like so think specifically about like the sacking of Port Royal in the mm-hmm. beginning when Barbosa's crew shows up. Um, you have so many practical effects in that scene. Like every cannon blast, every gunfire, every explosion, everything is practical effects, which like those would be rendered nowadays. There's programs for that. It but could. I'm watching this. Yeah. I would say maybe not the it whole, would certainly the whole be scene cheaper. would not be practical effects nowadays. It could arguably be cheaper to do practical effects. Um, so, and I, I noticed all of these, um, like, I mean, like, brick walls getting blown apart, and, because I just, hold on, let me finish the thought, let me finish the thought. <laughs> brick walls getting blown apart, and, like, you see bricks go flying. Mm-hmm. There are computer programs now that can digitize that and recreate it, mm-hmm. but, like, to me, to someone who's seen both, it doesn't look as good, and you can, Think to the Harry Potter it, film, tell, the very first one. Yeah. And they go into Diagon Alley. Yeah, Diagon Alley. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you can you can tell. And and they did practical effects. And this was actually a big Disney thing. Um, because way back in the day, I went on um another like save yourself from the shade kind of tour when we went to Disney World one year. Um Save It what? was called the <laughs> a Save Yourself from Wait, Save Yourself not from the Shade. Save Yourself in the Shade. Okay, I was like, what um, are you talking like, about? I was like, what? You're no, so like when it gets too words. hot, you can go do something boring, but like it's an attraction. It's gotcha. meant to like cool you off. There's probably like water that sprays you during the attraction. Gotcha. That kind of thing. Sorry. Um, so this one was called Disney Hollywood Studios Backlot Tour. 
Um, cool. And I went back in the day before they removed the Battleship pre-show, which to me was like the coolest part of the whole thing. And it was an entire, I think it was like a 45 minute tour where they walked you through how they made a lot of their practical effects, how they did explosions, how they did like so gunfire and water, like things catching on fire. And you would like... It, it was just, it was super, super cool to, to me. Like, I was very interested in it. I was reading a review about it and they were like, it's boring, but if you want to beat the heat, like, it's a good thing to go sit in for a little bit. And I would and be I like, man, you appreciate good production. Right? And, I and so do I'm that. watching, having been on the Backlot tour and watching Pirates of the Caribbean now, I'm like, I see a lot of the practical effects, like the how they do the explosions, which like now I couldn't tell you, but they're apparently like super easy stage practical effects Mm -hmm. where they just put like air cannons underwater and then like pipe in sound effects to do like gunfire popping in the water. Um, Yeah. And it's just like, it was like super straightforward stuff and and they they showcased it on this backlot tour. And I'm like, it just made me appreciate the practical effects of some of those scenes so well, much Well, you got to think, too, because... at, at that time, practical effects, well, effects in general were just starting to, you know, really be more mainstream right. with filmmaking. So, of course, we still had to rely on practical... I say we, like I've done it before. But, of course... <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> yes, we. We lump ourselves into this category. I will. Uh, but, of course, you have to use more practical effects at that point. I mean, even thinking like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone was made around the same time, the staircases are moved in the film those are practical effects where later they're more you know they're more digitized but still i love you know me i'm always gonna love those practical effects uh you know me i'm always gonna love those practical effects like i will forever stand behind practical effects because it lends an element of realism Mm -hmm. that you just you just cannot recreate with digital effects there's always going to be a part of your eye that like knows that it's not real Mm -hmm. except for like the water in avatar You know what I'm talking yeah, about. That's you know also you know. a movie I've only seen once. Um. So speaking of effects, though, like I wanted to know how the skeletons were done. <laughs> I'm watching this movie because one of like the coolest things for me was like watching an actor pass through like a beam of moonlight and in the same shot seamlessly go from definitely a human actor to skeleton and then back to human again as they pass back out of the moonlight. See, I, just, like, I meant to even look this stuff up. I meant to look this up. I did, don't you worry. You, is it, um, I'm going to assume they have them in a special suit and they have like those little tracking dots around their bodies and face. That's what I'm going to assume to track facial movement. Nope. No. Hmm. Would we have had the technology so- then? Right. So let me tell you, because it's like, you're, once I tell you this technique, you're, you're going to know it. Okay. Um, so in the special features on the DVD, it breaks it down. Um, we have actually talked about like the CGI technique before. I don't know what it's called. It probably has a name. Um, but they would essentially film the scene once with real actors in their real clothes doing all of their motions. When I say real clothes, mm-hmm. I mean like their costumes for the character. And then they would shoot the exact same camera angles again without the actors. 
And then in like a separate studio room, the actors would dress up in mocap suits, motion capture suits, and they would act out the same action so the computer could capture their movements. And then they would generate the CGI skeletons based on the mocap and plug them into the empty shots. Okay, so that's kind of what I was describing, motion capture. Yeah, um, but there was like but several I other would steps not, included. Yeah, I definitely would not have... They basically did exactly what they did in Captain America, Winter Soldier. Or not Winter Soldier. I was thinking um, also like Lord of the Rings, too. Mm-hmm. How interesting. Like I never would have realized it was multiple steps to do that. I would have just thought, because I think later in the films, I don't know which one. Who, who's the character later in the films who has like the snaky beard or whatever? Oh, Davy Jones. Davy Jones. I'm pretty sure later they use the, the, the dots. Hmm. I don't know. Don't yes, they that. do. They do to render his face. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're you're right. They do put him in like mocap dots and stuff, and 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 do that for his face. But that was because it was like later, and we had the technology for it. Right. Um, this one you didn't have anything moving; like they're just skeletons. You know, you have to like strip the actors down more than you have to add anything. How interesting! Um, How interesting! I know, and I I found that really interesting. Um, especially especially them using actually shooting the scene with the live actors first. Love that. Which they didn't need to do, but they did it to get the lighting correct when they added the skeletons in with CGI. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that explains how we're able to get some of those beautiful shots of seamless transition of actors to skeleton as they would like pass through those beams of light, Um, like on like during the fight scenes on the Isla de Muerta. So that's how they did it. They literally had to shoot it more than once with that. There's like a software that you were telling me about, about how they can line up their shots exactly with the shots that they just Mm -hmm. did. Um, So they would do that and they would shoot it once with the live actors and then shoot it again exactly, but empty with nobody in it. So they could plug the CGI in later, but have the lighting exact. Love that. Um, Okay. So I want to get to it because we're like already running low on time. (laughs) Um, The fight scene. The fight scene. We're at the fight scene. Okay, so when I say the fight scene, in quotation marks, we're talking about the first one with Jack Sparrow and Will Turner in the blacksmith shop. And I, I mean, we already talked about it with the soundtrack. I love this scene so much. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to get an expert opinion on this because, like, my opinion on it is going to be clouded because I love this fight scene so much. (laughs) Um, but I reached out to my martial arts instructor from school, Patrick Kelly, who is one of the fight coordinators on, well, on several, on several things, but, uh, the main one that he was a fight coordinator on that most people would know is on Vikings. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is really, really good at both authenticity, but also like narrative driven fight scenes, you know, making it look cool, but also realistic. Which, um, thank and you. Not Love that. Being... Love realism. Right? Exactly. So yeah, he does a great job of melding the two together, which is like my MO for everything. Like I, I like to meld, I, I'm a comparative literature kind of person. Like I like to meld the old with the new to make a effective, an effect of both. Um, and so I asked him specifically about this fight scene. Um, and so he said when he is watching a fight scene that he usually asks himself a couple of questions. Um, does it support and move along the narrative? Which, like, that's a good question. That's not something that I would oh, yeah. have thought of when I'm like, 
analyzing a fight scene. Um, and he says, does it change the characters? Meaning, is there a reason for the fight scene in the movie? If there's no change in the character, like, what purpose does the fight scene serve? Right. Um, and those are some really good, like, critical questions to ask in a fight scene. Because, I mean, like, you, I mean, we all know movies where there has just been, like, an unnecessary prolonged fight scene. <laughs> I won't name any of them. <laughs> But we know what they are. <laughs> um, and then lastly, he likes to ask, uh, can we see character choice in the action and as a result of the action? Okay. Um, so, like, is this is there character development that happens um, or does it reveal anything about the characters that are fighting? Um, so he said, obviously, clearly, this is a cinematic fight. It's bound to be overwrought and unrealistic. But... It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, he said a realistic fight would be rather boring to watch and or Absolutely. over far too quickly. This is... Yep. I, and I love completely that agree. because there's scenes like... We're not on Harry Potter. I know we're not. <laughs> we're all on Harry Potter. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, like... Uh, okay. Give, let me let me give one example really quick. The last Harry <laughs> Potter okay. film, the fight between, at the end, Voldemort and Harry, you know? I, I love mm-hmm. the book ending. I love the way Me Baltimore too. dies. Now, cinematically, it looks cooler when he I turns understand. to dust. The fight just looks cooler. It, it looks cooler. It cinematically looks cooler. I get it. And but I, it's wrong. It, it's, it, yes, it's wrong. It's just like when he snaps his wand, the heck? <laughs> I'm going to have fun editing that sound. We'll get there, y'all. <laughs> but um, it, it's one of those things where I have my angry Harry Potter noise. Your angry noises. But I 100% agree with that. It's like sometimes it's over the top, but it looks better. It just looks better. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's and more I think fun. you have to find a balance between like being over the top and being cinematic with your fights and also being realistic and doing something with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a big problem that a lot of like on Star Wars again, it's a big problem that a lot of Star Wars fans have had with a lot of the recent Star Wars productions is like the lightsaber duels are just blah. Yeah. I mean, like. These are, like, you have characters who can literally, like, sense things right before they're about to happen, and and then you get these really lame, non-cinematic lightsaber duels that do not hold a candle to, like, old-school Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen lightsaber duels. Mm-hmm. Like, they... I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Hayden Christensen's acting. When he was younger, he did not have a whole lot of acting ability. Hush your That's mouth. Okay. You have nothing he got to say. Better. No, he got better with time. He You're has right. honed his craft, and he is much better. As I will he's always older. love baby Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I will too. I do. I love him. He's adorable. But they were the absolute pinnacle of awesome lightsaber duels. Like no one can hold a candle to them, and everyone needs to watch Ahsoka. <laughs> <laughs> because I say that Shameless because. Rosario Dawson does an amazing job wielding her lightsabers and being Ahsoka because, and she does some, the cinematics that you're looking for in a good fight scene and she puts effort into it and they're not crappy and bleh. 
So anyway, back to pirates. <laughs> but I mean, you you um, make a fair point though because it has to be fun. It has to be engaging. You're just not gonna watch right, two dudes hit swords engaging. back and forth. No, no, it's gotta yes, be fun. Exactly. And they add so many elements in the scene to make it more fun. Like when they teeter totter, when w- w- mm-hmm. when he throws oh, so the fun. sword and locks him in. Uh you're just like, okay, where's it gonna yes. go from now? And then when he he mm-hmm. wraps the is it the sword? What does he have at that point? He wraps the sword mm-hmm. in his um his cuffs and hits it to the ceiling like what it's so fun right it's such a fun scene it's and so it's so fun. well crafted mm-hmm. so um so patrick said as for this fight in particular he thinks it's very well designed it is and so i'm like all right if he thinks it i'm agree it <laughs> um, is so he's it is very well designed. He said the choreography, the acting, the tempo, the editing, the musical score, the use of environment, the use of lighting. It, oh my gosh, the I use of the environment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And he said like character expression are all very well done. Um he said the first exchange between the two characters up to that sword throw we were talking about is very well done as well. Um he said that like the like the initial fight exchange is somewhat reminiscent of like the golden age of Hollywood swash Hollywood swashbuckling. Wow, that's like a tongue twister. Swashbuckling. <laughs> um, and he said he did say like some of the attacks and cross stepping footwork would seldom be used with those types of swords, but it works for the scene. I think, and I think I know what he's talking about. They use some technique that is more often used in like a rapier fencing. Mm-hmm. With a very thin sword, like think um, Princess Bride, like uh, that don't kind care of sword for that fighting. Film, but I know exactly what sword when you're you... talking about. Mm-hmm. I mm, uh, don't know. Nope. Continue well, about I'm pirates. Contemplating unfriending you. <laughs> uh, I know. I, I disappoint a lot of people. <laughs> okay. So, error. I have seen the film. Um... I just don't like it. <laughs> okay. But the like, think of the sword fighting scene. Oh, for sure. Between, well, yeah. um, between. Oh my gosh, Carrie Elwes and um, Mandy Patinkin. Sure, um, I know who that is. The sword fighting scene between <laughs> between the Man in Black and the Spaniard. <laughs> Got the you. Okay. The first one when they're fighting in like the old ruins of the castle. That is a beautiful fight scene. But think about like the swords that they're using. Yeah, is what I'm talking about. It's like the ones Those, that like, use long skinny the, swords. Yeah, the ones they have in the Olympics. They're like fencing swords, basically. Yeah, fencing swords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so the like the footwork and some of the technique is something that would be more commonly used with that kind of weaponry mm-hmm. and not with like the the broader pirate swords, whose the name I cannot think of right now. Um, it'll come to me later. Well, thinking about um, like how I, I mean, I could even look past that if you think about what kind of swords they're going to use in that time and for what. Maybe they mix a little bit of both. They're pirates. They can do what they want. Sure. You know what? And you know what? A lot of pirates um, were previously privateers where they had been employed by um, world governments, um, by the Portuguese, by the Spanish, by the by the British, by the French. They were employed by them to basically go out to sea and protect their assets. Um, and so they would have been potentially men of nobility that had trained with more traditional fencing sword fighting and had trained with a different kind of sword. So you know what? I'll give it to them. They 100% could have been like trained slightly differently with different weapons because of where they would have come from before they became pirates. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we'll get we'll let that um, one slide. We'll let that one be. Well, let that one slide, slide because this movie is awesome. This movie is fun. Um, 
So, uh, final note on this particular fight scene, um, the whole thing is just well-timed, like we said, how it meshes with the soundtrack. It's well-executed and well-edited, too. And it's fun. Um, It's just fun. It's a scene I watch over and over again. And, right? Um, But not only that, it pushes the narrative forward. It does. Because it fleshes out Will's character. Right. And, like, it shows you that he's a man of dedication. Like, the whole, like, I practice four hours a day so when I meet a pirate I can kill it. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, I think I read somewhere. I did. Where did I read this? Hold on. I have to find it because it's hilarious. Um, (laughs) Where did I find? Oh, okay. So, according to the screenwriter's commentary on the DVD, Will Turner is the best swordsman in the film. Barbosa and Commodore Norrington are evenly matched in second place, and Jack Sparrow is actually the worst. Uh, makes sense. How often do they say, I can't believe he's the worst? What is he? Say? He's the worst pirate. He's, he's the worst pirate I've ever heard of. <laughs> oh, but you have but heard he's of me. So, that's one thing about that character, too. And I feel like I'm sad we don't get to talk about characters more. He's smart. He's dumb he's smart. So smart. He's like That's my dog he buddy. Stuff. He's smart and stupid all Is at the same cunning. time. He's very cunning. Mm-hmm. He's a Slytherin. He's smart and stupid at the same time. He's stupid smart. So, okay. Yes, that's, that's that's what I wanted to end on was that amazing fight scene. Um, We rated it historical accuracy at like a three, maybe four. I have one last um, question, but- though. I have one last question. Mm. What is your favorite scene? Or we obviously have established this is our favorite scene. What is your other favorite, favorite scene? scene? Okay. Ancillary to that. What's my favorite scene? Oh, that's a good question. You go first. I, every time I watch this film, I will always love that part where they're in the cave and, and uh, Barbosa is like, let's go for a walk. Right? Go, he oh, says, go gents, for a walk. Take a walk. And they go and walk under the water. Like you, yes. like that when that shot first comes up, you just see the the water, right, in the boats, and then you start seeing them come into frame, and walk through in underwater. Oh, it's Spooky. magnificent! That's gives so me good. gives me oh, and then the, every the silent taking of the ship mm-hmm. too. It's that's like just stealth, scene. skeleton stealth. It's so good. That it's scene, so good. I love again the line delivery, and then you get, and then you see what he means. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is uh my second favorite scene your second favorite scene after the after the sword fight mm-hmm. um so i think my favorite scene is jack's escape at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. um after he saves elizabeth mm-hmm. um because of how it's timed with the music and yes. how much fun it is yes and to me there's so many um, I have, I have, it's, I'm tied. I'm tied. It's this one. And, um, because of how well it fits with the music, like I said, and, and because of like the sound bites that exist in my head, like Commodore Norrington just yelling, open fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then it's tied with the little teeny tiny mini scene of, um, Jack going down to the, the docks and getting stopped by the two Marines when he's trying to get on a ship. <laughs> And literally, like the oh, and no ship that's not crewed by the damned and captain by a man so evil that hell itself spat him back out could possibly have black sails if it couldn't possibly be it. Was that what you're saying? That one, fave. Olivia <laughs> <laughs> just spat that out. That was impressive. <laughs> because I watched it so many times that I'm like, what did he just say? I yeah, it's because one of those where I'm like, I absolutely have to have captions for. on. 
<laughs> right? Because like, that's what this movie was known for was like some of the like the dialogue that it's just like, wait, what did they say? And you have to back up because mm-hmm. it goes so fast and it's so it's like such mind-boggling dialogue. Um like the I can't remember exactly what he says afterwards. He's like, fine, I confess, I've come to like raid, pillage, and plunder and uh pill for my Weasley black guts out. Mm-hmm. He's like, I said no lies. I think he's telling the truth. And right. that whole exchange. And you really have to wonder, like, is he? Like, that's one of, the, again, a great right. part of this film was like, whose side is Jack Sparrow on? Who's this? Who's He's an anti-hero. He's on his own he side. Is, he is. He is. Oh, I love him. But but I love those scenes. And it became a staple of the later uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies is just those mind-bending line deliveries mm-hmm. from people that were just so quick that you were like, wait, what did they say? And you have Rewind. to back up because it was just so funny. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you they never quite were able to hold a candle to some of the delivery that happened in the first movie mm-hmm. because the first movie, like, you're not expecting it. And it really is just like, wait, what? It's great. The whole time. Excellently written. Yes. Okay. All right. Any last thoughts before we wrap? Um... Great film, great cast, fantastic music. Uh, I give it a eight, 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. I'm going to go with 8.5 out of 10. I'm going to just, I'm going to one-up you. Okay, then. Whatever, I guess. <laughs> since it was your birthday pick. <laughs> it's my birthday pick, so I get half a point. <laughs> Uh, okay well that concludes our episode on the curse of the black pearl maybe someday we'll do the rest of the franchise i would definitely love to um Today we talked about the absolutely phenomenal soundtrack and a lot of the intricacies and effort that went into the production of this movie. Next week we are going to be talking about Hereditary. That's your pick, right, Get ready for spooky season, y'all. Get ready for spooky season. We are just going to jump right in because next Sunday is October 1st, so like, heck it. We're jumping into spooky season. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Hereditary is an A24 film. Um, so it is available. Where is it available to stream? HBO Susan. HBO Susan. Okay. <laughs> uh, so make sure to be back here next Friday to tune in. Roll credits. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Please consider supporting us by becoming a member of our Patreon, where you can get access to show notes, vote on our upcoming episodes, and get exclusive downloads of our episode art. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your cinematic pulse.